Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Q is about conversation. If we're really concerned about ending poverty, we've got to be more concerned about creating justice. Our cultural products as Christians need to both defy and resonate with the culture. And God's doing amazing things. His church is expanding. His church is growing. It's not what's the purpose of my life. It's what is the purpose that's been assigned. Stay curious. Think well. Advance good. This is Q. After I graduated from college, I went to serve as an intern with Bishop Desmond Tutu and other church leaders in South Africa who were trying to find a way out of the apocalyptic bloodbath that decades of unyielding apartheid oppression seemed to be making inevitable. Martial law had been declared in the country. In a nation where 80% of black and white Christians actually went to church on Sunday, a dozen of the country's most powerful church leaders gathered in a little room. It was an historic moment because for the first time in half a century, the leaders of the most powerful white church, the Dutch Reformed Church, were in the room. After much heated but unhelpful back and forth, it was Bishop Tutu's chance to speak. He turned to his stiffening white Afrikaner church leaders and he said this, Friends, I thank God that he sent you white brothers to our country so long ago. You brought hospitals and I was born in a missionary hospital. You brought schools and I was educated in a missionary school. But most of all, I thank God for you, white brothers, because you brought us the word of God. But now, my brothers, I must open the word of God and show you where your apartheid system is a sin. They stayed in the room and they listened. And a year later, these Dutch Reformed church leaders led their denomination to declare apartheid a heresy. Welcome to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. I'm Paul Perot from Faith Radio. The voice you just heard was that of Gary Haugen. Gary serves as the CEO of the group International Justice Mission, a group dedicated to fighting the plague of human trafficking and injustice around the world. Now, that clip you heard was from a keynote speech that he delivered at the National Prayer Breakfast in Washington a little over a week ago. With an audience that included the president, vice president, legislators, and many others, Gary gave a stirring call to action to face up to issues of injustice around the world. Now, we won't be listening to that speech here today, but we will be hearing from Gary later in the show in an interview that Gabe did with him just a few years ago at a Q conference about the work of the International Justice Mission, why he started it, and why the gospel of Jesus not only provoked him to action against human trafficking, but how it sustains him and his team in their work. First, though, at that same Q conference, Gabe addressed the participants, putting to them questions to use as you seek to engage our communities and the world. These are questions we need to ask ourselves, as you'll hear that later Gary Haugen did, in order to frame the work we do, whether it's to tackle issues of injustice, profound need, or even just regular ministry and our workplace life. Here's Gabe. I 
thought it was important to talk about questions. Thought it was really important for us to understand why asking questions is actually the whole mode of operation here. It's how we think that we as leaders can actually engage better as we enter into a culture that's changing quite a bit. You know, as you think about the cultural landscape, the place that we sit today, we've used terms to describe this as postmodern, post-Christian, pluralistic, you know, all these ideas, but essentially what it means is the world has changed. In the last 10 to 20 years, significant change has been underway. It's not by accident. It's the way generations are evolving. It's the way our culture's evolving. It's the ideas that are starting to permeate our institutions, our families, our children. And so how are we as leaders going to lead through that? How are we going to hold tight to the gospel? How are we going to hold tight to historic Christian ideas and yet move forward in a modern world that's demanding we have answers to these questions? You see, I think there's an incredible opportunity in this. I'm enthused and excited that so many of you have engaged with us over these many years to start thinking well about how do we engage this new landscape. You know, many of us have never been here before. I know I haven't. When I moved from Atlanta four years ago to Manhattan, it was incredible culture shock. We went from a place where being a Christian in the South was something everybody just sort of assumed about one another to a place where only 3% of the city of 8 million are evangelical. And so you immediately realize what it means to be the church. Being a Christian is not a popular thing. It's not a label you want to put out there because it immediately is met with distancing, with we don't really need to hear your ideas. And yet we believe Christian ideas are actually what have given roots to a flourishing civilization. We think these ideas matter in our world today, but we think we as Christians haven't necessarily done a great job of putting our best foot forward into how our ideas can engage the world, and that's what this is about. I want you to think about some questions. I want you to think about what are these questions in which we can maybe frame how we're going to engage the world. Because you see, part of our idea here is, is we're, we're becoming a little more countercultural, right? As Christians, some of our ideas no longer are in lockstep with where the culture's going. Maybe 20 years ago they were. Maybe 30, 40, 50 years ago, they were right in step with where culture was going, but now things are changing, and so we find ourselves actually having to run a little counter to the way the culture's going. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean we have to be antagonistic. We're fighting against culture. We're constantly telling everybody what's wrong with them. Instead, it just means we need to understand what we're about. We need to get really clear on that. And then we need to walk forward with boldness and courage and faithfulness, believing that God's going to take care of results and our job's to be faithful. So as you think about it, I've got four questions I want you to be asking. The first question is, what is wrong? And so when you think about what is wrong in the world, our job as Christians are to stop and confront that. Now that can feel a bit antagonistic, but let me give you an example. What it means to stop and confront something is that you see something so wrong in the world, so evil in the world, that you have to do something about it. I think of somebody like Gary Haugen, you'll hear from later today, who realized violence is causing irreparable harm in the whole process of why people can't seem to get out of poverty. So what does he do? He stops and confronts it. But he doesn't just antagonize and tell everybody what's wrong with this. What he does is starts to create something like International Justice Mission to start to change that. That's the way we as Christians have to be leading. So we start with understanding what is wrong. We can't walk away from this, folks. Sometimes it's not popular to point out what's wrong and to stop and confront it, right? This isn't where you get the most accolades culturally, but this is what faithfulness has always looked like for centuries of what it means to be a Christian. So we have to have a good lens on what is, what is wrong in our world? How are we called to stop uh, and confront that? The next question 
What is confused? You see, in our world, there's a ton of confusion. There's a lot of people asking a lot of questions. They don't know what to think anymore. They don't know what's true. They don't know what's moral and immoral. And so there's a lot of confusion. Our job as Christians is to clarify and compel. We're to come into this confusion with clarity. And over these next two days, I hope you get clarity. You get clarity on some definitions. You get clarity on how you can engage winsomely in some of the toughest, most difficult conversations of our time. And then we can compel people forward into a new way of living. The next question is what is good? You see, I think for a long time, we as Christians haven't been too good at asking this question. What is good in the world? There's a lot of things that are good in the world that aren't labeled Christian. There's a lot of people who are good in the world who don't call themselves Christians, but there's a lot of good happening in our world and our jobs to celebrate that and to cultivate it. And so you can do that in film and music and art. You can also do it in organizations and businesses that aren't even led by Christian leaders, but are doing good things in the world. We should be the first as Christians to celebrate that. When we did our research back, David Kinnaman and I in 2007 launched the book Unchristian. You know, one of the huge themes that ran through that is that Christians are judgmental. You see, being judgmental, if you really look at the definition of that, means we're very quick and eager to point out what's wrong with you. We see it, and then we point it out, and we label you that way. One of the great things to know is, what if we were known as Christians for knowing how to point out what's great in the world, what's good, what's true, what's beautiful? Where is justice going forward? And we were to be known as the ones who, in our own minds, are constantly curating and understanding what's good and celebrating those things and celebrating people who are doing great work in the world, regardless of whether they call themselves Christian or not. You see, this is the idea of common grace going forward. And we as Christians need to get better at how we celebrate that. Over these next few days, you're going to see a lot of celebration of some great things happening in our culture. And finally, we have to ask the toughest question, which is what is missing? Now, this is the toughest question because it actually requires imagination. See, there's something in the world right now that just doesn't exist, but I believe God's counting on somebody in this room to create, to start, to cultivate. And many of us will shrink from that responsibility because we think, oh God, use somebody else. You don't need to use me. I, I can't do it. I'm, I'm too broken. I've had too many bad things happen in my past. You can't possibly use me. And yet he's saying to you over these next couple of days, no, I'm talking to you. And I want you to create and I want you to catalyze the things in our world that are missing right now that I've put in your heart for you to dream and imagine. And maybe there's nobody else in the room today that has this burden or has this thought and it's only you and God's counting on you to be bold and faithful and to step forward. You know, for us, we started Q eight years ago because we thought this was missing. We thought there wasn't actually a place where Christian leaders were able to come together and not feel like they had all the answers and not be preached at all day but literally come together with questions and ask and dialogue and learn and be exposed to people with different opinions and to start to learn what it means to be thoughtful. Because of that, we've seen amazing things start to take place because of you engaging that, starting to live it out in your communities. So these are the four questions, but finally, you know, we can ask all the right questions. We can try to respond well, but if we don't have the proper tone as Christians in this day, it's like a big gong. Nobody cares. So we can have all the right answers. We can be trying to engage the world right. But if our tone is one of judgmentalism, of condemnation, where we actually don't know what hope we have in us and what it has to offer to this world, then we can find we actually aren't offering much at all and people are rejecting it, not because it's not true. They're rejecting it because we were careless in how we presented it. 
A great set of questions and very thought-provoking ones from Gabe Lyons on Q Ideas. Thanks again for listening this week. Now, if you're a regular listener, you know that one thing we try to encourage you to do is to engage your communities and work for the flourishing of those around you. But first, that takes time to listen and lean in. And that's why we host Q conferences in Nashville in the spring, as well as Q Commons events around the nation in the fall. We also are encouraging you to bring important discussions into your home next week. Hopefully you know this is Black History Month. In America, that history is marred by slavery and discrimination. And although laws have been changed to try to end racism, it still rears its ugly head. And beyond that, the scars of these past injustices are still felt. Now, if racial reconciliation is important to you and don't know where to start, why not start with a Q dinner? What we're asking you to do is next week, host a meal with six or more people in your home. Play a video from David Bailey from the Reconciliation Ministry, Erebon, and then lead a time of questions and conversations. I know, inviting people into your home and discussing race, it may sound intimidating, but if you go to QDinners.com, you can find out how to do it. We'll help. We provide the video, a conversation guide, and even provide some recipe ideas for the dinner. Or you can order out either way. Sign up again at QDinners.com. Let's get back to this week's Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. We heard at the start of the show from Gary Halgan of the International Justice Mission. IJM helps to fight human trafficking worldwide. What got Gary involved in such work? Over two decades ago, he was sent by the U.S. State Department to investigate the Rwandan genocide. And what he saw not only impacted him personally, but he saw wrong, and he saw how, in the name of the gospel, change should happen. He sat down with Gabe Lyons at a Q conference a few years ago to talk about his work to end violence. I think we have to to make note of something. Fifteen years ago, to me in the church, the discussion about justice just wasn't happening. Yeah. And I would say today, most of our churches, the leaders here, justice is a big part of what we talk about and understand about what our role is in our communities and how we ought to be seeing the world. And I want to thank you from all of us for leading the way on that. It's, it's amazing. Let's thank Gary for his leadership. His, his book, The Good News About Injustice, was a huge part of I think igniting a lot of people within the church to understand what the Bible really has to say about this. And it's, it's just amazing to see how God's used you as a restorer, as somebody who saw something broken after that Rwandan experience yeah. and came back and created something. So yeah. thank you. It's an honor to be with you. I want to dig in a little bit to just what you've been working on lately. And, yeah. and you've, you've, not, you've pushed the conversation almost beyond uh, a deeper level, I would say, not beyond, but of justice, and actually kind of said, I'm going to go under the surface here, and we're going to talk about what's really going on beneath the surface of, of why injustice continues to happen. No matter how many good deeds we seem to do, there's something underneath it. Describe what you've been thinking about and starting to educate more leaders on. Just a comment about the change in the church uh, on the way in which God's passion for justice has become quite mainstream, I think, which is just a beautiful thing uh, for the body of Christ to manifest, which is truly the heart of God. Uh, I know there was a, a rookie who got into a basketball game with um, uh, Michael Jordan. He was playing for the Bulls, and he accidentally got in and made a free throw, and Michael Jordan scored like 45 points, and so at the, at the end of 
with this uh, rookie calls his mom and says, yeah, Michael Jackson and, I, and Michael Jordan and I combined for 46 points uh, tonight. <laughs> and that's sort, of, that's sort of the feeling at International Justice Mission and for me about what has taken place at, in, in the church over the last 15 years. That yes, there is this move to em- actually embrace God's heart for justice and also his work for justice. But what this also means is a confrontation with the problem of violence. And that's what this new book that we've written called The Locust Effect is about. The subtitle is Why the End of Poverty Requires the End of Violence. And perhaps the most scary face of poverty is the face of violence. The way that the poor in the developing world especially at the tune of about two and a half billion people, the UN says have no access to law enforcement. Hmm. That means they live in a lawless chaos of forced labor, of sexual violence, of police abuse, and the theft of their land. And when we think of poverty, we will think of the shacks, and we will think of the dirty water, and the hungry kids. But beneath the surface of all that is an epidemic of violence that has been unleashed by the total breakdown of criminal justice systems in the developing world. And so this is trying to raise the alarm about yeah. that. Well, and you created international justice mission with, with not the purpose of necessarily feeding the poor, but yeah. literally saying, how do we bring justice? Des- describe what you created as kind of an apparatus and how it's working and what, what you guys do. Yeah, I mean, international justice mission began because some of us were connected to Christians who were serving amongst the poor, and they would just tell us stories of horrible violence, girls being trafficked into brothels where they were literally serially raped, right? Or families held in brick factories as literal slaves, or widows and orphans being thrown off their land. And so they would be trying to bring discipleship and church planting or food or water or whatever it is. And then they would be confronted with this violence. And the question is, how are we supposed to love those neighbors? So IJM started out as an organization of lawyers and criminal investigators and social workers who would try to address those kinds of individual cases. We now have 18 different offices around the world and about 700 full-time staff, 96% of them are local nationals who are serving in their own community. And their task is to try to protect the poor from violence. And in the process of doing that, they discover that the instrument that God created to actually protect all of us from violence, which is basic law enforcement, the thing that keeps all of us having a safe, nice day in Nashville, is something that does not exist for those who are poorest in our world. So that's a a massive problem that the world is just going to start to wake up to in the coming decade or so. And it is also an opportunity and a call to the Christian church to actually be leaders in that effort of making sure that the poor are safe from violence. So how do church leaders, people who are engaged, care about justice? Uh, Maybe they've been working on providing water for people and that's been the effort of the church. Is there some way the church can get involved or should be involved in this law enforcement effort? It can seem a bit intimidating. Sure, and one of the easiest ways to, to begin to engage is just to recover our history. Um, whatever law enforcement that we enjoy in the United States, for instance, was largely a product of Christian leaders seeking to build basic systems of rule of law in our, in our communities, and not only to establish them, but then to begin to make them so they actually work for those who are weakest um, and those who are most vulnerable. So some of it's recovering our history, which really just takes us to the scripture. 
uh, which is the picture of the prophets who are continually calling the, the government leaders to exercise their power to protect those who are weakest and most vulnerable. And in the developing world now, there is going to be a massive fight that's going to be engaged about whether or not justice systems are going to protect the poor from violence. Because now we have two, you've been to the developing world, I'm sure, and we now have two uh, sectors of society. A society which in the developing world purchases its safety by private security and those who cannot afford to and are living in a lawless chaos. And so for us, it's mostly going to be about recovering the God's call from Scripture to actually engage the problem of violence, number one. Because many times Christians feel like they've walked into the wrong room if you start talking about violence. Mm. And there's violence in our own churches. There's violence in our own communities. And Christians have not been in this era the ones first running to the front lines of that because it's scary. But in the developing world, there are two and a half billion people who have no access to law enforcement. The way that this comes home to Americans that I've, I've experienced like nothing else is, to, is usually a 911 call I play of a, of a young woman in Oregon who's in her home on a weekend night by herself in a rural area and there's a man tearing into the house to try to assault her. He knows he's trying to assault her because he actually put her in the hospital two weeks before. So he's tearing through the window. She picks up the 911, I mean the, the telephone, calls 911 and there's this amazing, devastating conversation with the 911 operator where the 911 operator explains, I'm sorry, but due to budget cuts, there's no law enforcement in your county on weekends. And so for 10 minutes, there's this, are you kidding, kind of conversation, after which, of course, she just has to hang up. The man does, of course, make his way into the room, rapes her, assaults her horribly. And all of us, like right now, you are completely silent with me about this, right? Because this is an outrage. But this is the way two and a half billion of the poorest people live every day. So what if you and I had no access to law enforcement? No one was coming to us when the bully comes to take our children, to steal our land, to take us into slavery. This is the thing we do not see when we think about poverty in the developing world. And yet this is the thing that will call forth from us as Christians some very powerful questions about are we prepared to really believe that God is calling us to the work of justice and will go with us. And I think it's an invitation for the church to lead and to demonstrate a humility and a courage that will give a fresh, I think, introduction to the gospel of Jesus. Yeah, man, amen. I think I'm amazed at how you've been so honest about this problem. Nobody was really talking about this, and you've raised it over the last few months. And you see people like former President Bill Clinton and so many others that have weighed in and said, this is the issue. As people are starting to get exposure to what's happening in the world, they're saying, Gary's talking about something critical and you're, you're leading on this. Hmm. But tell us just personally, how do you deal with all that you see going back 20 years yeah. to investigating the genocide in Rwanda yeah. to the stories on a daily basis that are coming before your teams? Yeah. How do you guys stay in this? I mean, it must feel yeah. oppressive and yeah. dark. It totally is. But the thing that God has given is himself. And we could make a decision to head into all this darkness and ugliness and violence with leaving him behind. Mm -hmm. Or we could say, oh, wait a minute. This struggle for justice is actually your struggle. And so we want to stay as close to you as possible. 
And so that's why we have these daily rhythms of every day begins with 30 minutes of silence at IJM. From 8.30 till 9 o'clock, we do nothing, all of us. We just sit alone by ourselves at our desk, and we call it the 8.30 stillness, and we just spiritually prepare for the day. Then at 9 o'clock, we work really hard because there's a lot of justice to be done, right? But then we stop at 11. Everybody stops what they're doing, and we all come back together again for another half hour of prayer every single day. And then every quarter, we'd stop the office altogether and take a quarterly prayer retreat. We just finished our global prayer gathering, which brought our leaders from all over around the world together with 1,200 of our prayer partners just to pray for two and a half days together. I don't. Maybe others have another way to do this, but this is the only way forward that we're finding, which is to actually stay close to the very God of justice. Well, Gary, I think there's a lot of pastors and leaders probably sitting in here who've said, I've never, we don't pray that much at our church. And I hear you say that like I do, and I'm convicted, and I say, man, what you're doing is not only reshaping this justice conversation, but I think the way you lead your organization is convicting to many of us to say, are we doing enough on the prayer front? Are we really honoring the fact that we're in a spiritual battle here and that we need to, to rely on God's power on a daily basis to be connected to what he's trying to do in the world? So thanks for your leadership on all of these fronts. It's a privilege to have you here at Q, and I appreciate you being a part of this. Thanks, Thank you, brother. That again was Gabe with Gary Haugen on Q Ideas this week. If you'd like to see these or other talks, remember we have a huge library of videos and articles at qideas.org. Also, instead of just sitting at home and watching these talks, why not join us in April, April 24th through the 26th in Nashville for Q 2019. You can be there as the talks from these great thought leaders are shared, but also engage with the speakers and others around the idea of helping our communities flourish in the power of the gospel. To get information or to register, go to qideas.org and just click on the Q2019 tab on the left. Well, for Gabe Lyons, I'm Paul Perot. Thanks again for listening to Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons. Have a great week. This show is made possible in partnership with Faith Radio and Northwestern Media. Thank you for listening to the Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons podcast. These conversations are available because of listener support. You can make your gift now at MyFaithRadio.com. To avoid missing future editions of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons, subscribe to the podcast today at iTunes or on your podcast player. And thank you for sharing this audio link with a friend and growing the impact of Q Ideas with Gabe Lyons.